electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hi, I'm Brian Sullivan. Tonight, saved or doomed? TikTok CEO goes 12 rounds on Capitol Hill. One of the lawmakers at today's intense hearing and who could help decide TikTok's fate is here to tell you what comes next. Plus, more bloodletting in the banks. Investors still scared as D.C. sending out all kinds of mixed messages. What's going on? And call this a not-so-undercover boss. Why the guy who serves you your next Starbucks may actually be the CEO. That and much more. So belly up or buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right, welcome everybody. Good evening here. Good afternoon way out west. There are a lot of fast-moving stories to get to tonight, including Stocks avoiding maybe another Janet Yellen-triggered nosedive today. We did see markets go up. They ended higher. Okay, the Dow up 75, but the Dow was up a couple hundred earlier. So we didn't, we didn't finish down, but certainly nowhere near our highs. Now, beneath the surface on that green, the soil of the market, the banks are sending up on maybe another big warning flare. We'll have much more on that in just a moment. But first up tonight. TikTok CEO facing the music on Capitol Hill. During an often tense five-hour hearing today, lawmakers grilled Xu Chu over his company's data privacy, their Chinese ownership, and the impact on children. For more on this and what may come next, bring in Julia Borston, who is following today's high-stakes hearing. And it got, it got hot on both sides of the aisle, Julia. It was very heated and very much bipartisan criticism. And much of this criticism from members of Congress centered on the risk that TikTok poses, particularly to teens around the likes of suicide, eating disorders and violence. But I'd say the greatest focus was on the risks associated with TikTok's Chinese parent company, ByteDance. Take a listen. Today, all um, U.S. user data is stored by default in the Oracle cloud infrastructure question, and access to that is controlled is, any by American personnel. Do any dance employees in China, including engineers, currently have access to U.S. data? Uh, Congressman, uh, I would appreciate this. This is a complex uh, topic. Today, all data yes, is stored yes, by no, default. It's not that complex. Yes or no, do they have access to user data? We have, after Project Texas is done, the answer is no. Today, there is still some data that we need to delete. That concern that U.S. user data is not yet entirely secure, feeding concerns about the violation of user privacy. As I previously referenced, TikTok spied on American journalists. Can you say with 100% certainty that neither ByteDance nor TikTok employees can target other Americans with similar surveillance techniques? Chair Rogers, I first of all disagree with the characterization that is spying. Um, it was an internal investigation. Yes on, or no? Can you do surveillance of other Americans? We, we will protect the U.S. user data and fire it all from all unwanted foreign access. It's a commitment that we've given to the committee. 
TikTok shooting back after these attacks during today's hearing, saying, quote, unfortunately, the day was dominated by political grandstanding that failed to acknowledge the real solutions already underway through Project Texas or productively address industry-wide issues of youth safety. But Senators Warner and Thune, who are co-sponsors of the Restrict Bill, which could lead to restrictions of TikTok and other non-U.S. companies, issuing a statement this evening saying that Chinese companies, including TikTok, are required to do the bidding of Chinese intelligence services if called upon to do so. They noted that they heard nothing from TikTok CEO that assuaged those particular concerns. Brian? Julia Borston, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, so lawmakers also pressed Xu about whether anyone from ByteDance, the parent company, helped prepare him for the hearing. Listen to this exchange between the TikTok CEO and Republican Congressman Michael Burgess. Are you willing to share uh, who, who helped prepare you for this hearing with the committee? And you can do that I can follow up with you, okay. if you like. Can you guarantee that no one at ByteDance had a role in preparing you for today's hearing? Like I said, Congressman, this is a high-profile hearing. A lot of people around the world were sending me wishes and unsolicited advice. But I prepared for this hearing with my team here in D.C. All right, let's take a little bit more in and find out if TikTok CEO really did try to dance around the Congressman's question. Let's ask him now. He is here. Joining us is Congressman Michael Burgess. He is a Republican from Texas. Uh, Congressman, thanks for coming on. Your take on the hearing today, it got hot at times. What is the next step? What is the future of TikTok? I don't think he actually answered my question. And look, there's no, there's no shame in having someone help you prepare for a congressional hearing. It's, it's something that people don't go through all the time. So I fully expect a cabinet secretary or a captain of industry who's coming in before the committee to, to have some help in preparation. But my interest was obviously as someone at ByteDance or someone in the uh, CCP pulling the strings on, uh, on the preparation of this witness that we had in front of us. And to the, tell you the truth, I, I don't think I got a, a satisfactory answer. So that would have to mean that, yes, someone from Bike Dance did help him prepare for the well, hearing. I, I wouldn't doubt. I mean, listen, I'm sure he had probably 50 PR consultants, lawyers, lobbyists. Right. But that, by the way, you know as well as I do, that would be normal for any CEO, yes. big oil, big tobacco, whatever it is, they go forward. Or a cabinet secretary. You would so expect it. What's the next steps in Congress? Will there be a push to formally ban, outlaw, restrict, whatever, TikTok? I, well, I think it was already in, in place. And I think that picked up some momentum after our hearing today. And, and it's not just the United States. I know other countries are, are looking at this as well. The, the, the influence of the CCP on this company and the effect the, the, the fact that it goes so far and wide and it has such a such a reach into uh, into young people's lives and with their algorithms, they can affect what is shown to people and, and what influences people. Mm -hmm. This is a big deal. And uh, as a consequence, yeah, there may very well be the, the as you reference the two senators who are, are pushing the Restrict Act. And there may well be something on the House side as well. There is such a focus on the quote-unquote spying aspect. I wonder if that's missing the point. Because what I've read, and I saw something from Australia a couple of days ago, which I thought nailed it, was people are all saying, well, who cares? Everybody spies on everybody. Mm -hmm. Is the bigger concern not the quote-unquote spying? It's that China, ByteDance, whatever, could use the algorithm. You're a medical doctor. Say, I'll use an example, to push misinformation on COVID, 
on the elections. You could do whatever you want by controlling the algorithms to make 150 million Americans see content you want them to see. And that may serve your purpose. To me, that's the bigger issue. And and believe what they want you to believe. So, yes, and and we've seen this. You know, of course, we've done a lot of work on the fentanyl crisis, fentanyl poisonings that are happening in this country and, and social media, not just TikTok, but social media in general plays a role in this. And then one of the things that I brought up to uh, uh, Mr. Chu uh, toward the end of my time in the in the questioning was a, a field hearing we'd done down in McAllen, Texas, a couple of weeks ago, where Brandon Judd, who's a, a Border Patrol agent, said that TikTok actually is uh, their algorithms are used to recruit adolescents on on our side of the border to help deliver people, deliver contraband. I mean, this is a real problem, and TikTok has that malign influence. We've got to get a hold of it. But I'll take the other side, Congressman. I think what we've learned in the last couple of years, whether it's the Twitter files, if you believe those or whatever it may be, is that Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, there was a lot of bad information going around everywhere. How is this any different from them? And if you ban TikTok, where does it stop? Yeah. Teach your children well. We all need to learn to be critical thinkers and you can't necessarily believe everything you read online. So should we go after the Facebooks as well? Or is this really more of a China concern? I, I think that in, in this case and the hearing today, it, it is a China concern. And look, the fact that uh, 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 Mr. Chu wouldn't share with me on the, some, and I recognize he's got to protect some financial data, but still he wouldn't give me even a ballpark estimate of what is uh, uh, how how the revenue is shared with with communist China. Well, that's a big deal, and we should know that. And then the other part of this that, although uh, uh, <clears throat> it wasn't, wasn't actually brought out in the hearing today, the fact that TikTok in, in mainland China performs a vastly different function, and the what is shown to adolescents in China is uh, as STEM courses and things to work toward the betterment of their lives, what the, is being delivered yeah. to our youth is something entirely different, and misinformation is perhaps the, the kindest word you can use. I'll never forget the, the last time I went to China, I got into my hotel room, and there was a little placard on the desk, not talking about the bar or the restaurant hours, but it said, be careful what you search for on the internet. All internet usage is monitored by the state. It was a warning in my hotel room in Hong Kong. That's never left me. Congressman Michael Burgess, we appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Good deal. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. So all this talk about a potential TikTok ban, it's an economic story, too. It's a money story. It could up in the livelihoods of many influencers on the platform, including Jason Linton. Now, many of you might know him as Dad Life Jason. If you don't, now you will. Here's a TikTok that he posted of his grandma. Pretty funny, right? It is. Well, that's just one of hundreds of TikToks Jason has shared. He has nearly 13 million followers, and he thinks there is nothing funny about the talk of a band. Joining us now is the man himself. That is Jason Linton. Jason, thanks for coming on. This, and I want to be clear, because I think a lot of people don't realize, they think, oh, you're just making funny videos. This is your job. You don't have another job, correct? This is how you put food on the table. Yes. 
It is. And it's um, it's been life changing to be able to have that voice and to share the story of my family just coming together through foster care and to adoption. And just sharing that with other parents out there has been extremely powerful, a way to network and a way to build a, a community on the app. And it's been life changing. Could you do it on Instagram? Could you do it on Twitter? Could you do it on Facebook? That's the that's the conversation that a lot of people are, are kind of callously kind of blowing out. They're saying, oh, you can just do it on another platform. But the reason is TikTok, the power is given to the people that are the authors of the message, which is me. I'm a nobody. But on TikTok, I was able to say something important about family building and parenting and that it echoed throughout the, the whole TikTok sphere, if you could say. And, um, and there were other people that really identified with that all over the world. And now I have built this massive following where it's not really a following at all. It's a community that we can just share ideas and share information what, on what? Instagram or, or all the other um, platforms. You have to be famous first before you get to have a message looked at as important. Well, you were in D.C. today, and the one thing I heard, because our producers were speaking to you beforehand, was that this was yeah. kind of an, an eye-opening day in terms of the way yeah. that Congress works. J Jason, I don't know where you live, like where your home is. Maybe you could tell us. Um, but what did you I, learn I live, about Congress today? Well, we, we live in Oklahoma in a small Air Force town, and we really, this town is all about America. It's all American. It's a melting pot. And it's very transient because we have a lot of Air Force people coming in and going out. And we kind of have an image of what conversation looks like in D.C. And today was very eye opening because the conversation, by and large, seemed very one sided. And that was very scary to me because I got to see a person of color, if you will, go up to speak to, to others and there they were asked questions, but they weren't given the ability to put the nuance to the answer. And that was a little bit discouraging. It felt very backwards. Yeah, well, and, and a lot of these testimonies do go that way. They get their time to ask the questions. And that's kind of the whole point is not actually the answer. It's just the question. But Jason okay. Linton, hey, stay in touch with us. We really appreciate you coming on and good luck to you and your thank you for family. having me. Of course, Jason, thank you very much. All right, ahead, the distress signal that is suddenly hitting one of the planet's most important banks, and this is a bigger bank than Credit Suisse. Plus, California trying to create a new multi-million dollar state agency to go after big oil and gas, but could it end up hurting the little guy even more? It's a story you're not going to hear anywhere else, but here on Last Call. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back to Last Call. If you thought the bank panic was over, somebody forgot to tell the stock market. While bank customers may be calming down, bank stocks are not. Look what happened again today. Nearly every bank stock fell, led by banks like Comerica, BOK Financial, Zions Bank Corp, PacWest. They sank, what, 8.5%, 9%. PacWest, by the way, is now down 65% this month. Okay, that's America. There is one other bank that you need to keep your eyes on more than those regional banks, and that is German giant Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank got slammed today, down another 6%. Deutsche Bank has now lost a fifth of its value this month. Deutsche Bank is big, much bigger than Credit Suisse. In fact, as of the last data, it has twice as many deposits as Credit Suisse did. And look at the bets against the company. Credit default swaps on Deutsche Bank, CDSs, by the way, if you're new to them, pretty good way to measure risk. Now, they rose a little bit again today. They're down off their high, but you can see they are spiking lately as well. They did earlier, to be fair, a few months ago and came down, but they are spiking. How do you say, watch this space in German? All right, so let's stay there, because part of the problem is that many people may be confused about what exactly the government can or will do to protect depositors. You can't blame them if they are. To put it politely, the messaging has been all over the place. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen made a mess of things testifying to the Senate yesterday, which for some reason was ha- or maybe maybe for this reason was happening at the exact same time that Jay Powell was speaking after the Fed meeting. Naturally, the markets responded poorly. Powell implying one thing, Yellen suggesting the, uh, the opposite. It's kind of unreal, right? He says this. She says that. So Secretary Yellen was back on the Hill today, maybe trying to clear things up and clarify exactly what the government would and could do to protect depositors. Here's what she said. The strong actions we've taken ensure that Americans' deposits are safe. Certainly, we would be prepared to take additional actions if warranted. So the additional actions if warranted part is new. Can't wait to hear maybe what she'll say tomorrow for reactions. Bring Republican Senator Rick Scott. Senator Scott, good to have you back on. I mean, I, I hate to do this. Jay Powell and, and Janet Yellen, highly respected Longtime public servants, but I mean, if you got the Fed chair saying effectively one thing and the Treasury secretary effectively saying something else, I think the technical term is that's not good. Well, I, I, th- I think they've done a horrible job. Number one is why, what were they doing? They were asleep at the witch when these banks failed, right? Number two, they haven't told us what went wrong. Number three, they haven't said, hey, they've reviewed all the other banks and we have this. We don't have this problem anyplace else. Number four, no one's been held accountable. I mean, it's just like the bailouts and and the problems of 2008. Nobody at at the Federal Reserve, FDIC, Treasury was ever held accountable. And then we all let's live. Let's be live in reality. The federal government can't guarantee every deposit. That's you and me there's guaranteed enough, every deposit. Money. There's not enough money, is there, Senator? That's the, and we, right. we brought I mean, this so point live, up yeah. a week and a half ago. I made that point if sideways on the special that we hosted on Sunday night a week and a half ago. Some people disagreed, but th- the money to guarantee all these depositors is, is not there. 
Well, first off, the Federal Reserve already has almost a $9 trillion balance sheet. The country has $31.5 trillion worth of debt. I mean, are you going to feel comfortable? I mean, all they, what, all they can do is print money, which is going to cause more inflation. All this hurts the poorest families. It's going to cause more inflation. The rich keep getting richer and yep. the poor keep getting poorer. But they've not made me feel comfortable at all. Well, the, and, and the problem is that the, the big banks are going to probably tell me if you agree or disagree. OK, the big banks are probably going to end up getting bigger. If you see smaller lenders either get hurt or pushed out of business, even midsize lenders, that people are either going to put their money in, you know, money markets or certificates of deposit, whatever, or they're going to go to the J.P. Morgan Chases and the Citigroups of the world. And, you know, and down in Florida, I would imagine the local banks, five or six different branches, maybe that's it, do a better job of serving some of the lower income, underserved working class communities than a gigantic bank based somewhere on Wall Street. Well, first off, how are you going to get a loan? I mean, you're going to call, you know, how are you going to get, get a hold of anybody at these big banks? So and the, and the regional banks, the community banks, they're the ones who know their customer. They know who to lend money to. They know what's going on in their communities. And so these big banks are not going to know. So what we're going to do is we're going to hurt the entrepreneurs. We're going to hurt the people trying to get started. I remember when I got started in business, it was hard to borrow money. Yeah. If I had not already built a relationship with a bank, I'd never gotten a dime. And you, th- and you think that sounds like you believe that's, that's going to tighten. And by the way, you know, Secretary it's Yellen, happening. By the way, Secretary Yellen, you know, it's I'm made millions giving speeches for some of these same big banks between her time at the Fed and the Treasury. Good for her. I hope to if I leave this job, go, go get rich giving speeches, too. But it, it does. There is a bad look to that. Is there not? Especially if those banks end up getting Absolutely. bigger. Absolutely. That's I mean, yeah. Uh, what's going to happen is we're you know with the where they're going is they're just going to be a few big banks left. They're all going to be run by the government. The government will be able to decide. Oh, we don't want you loaning here, or we don't want you loaning there because they they don't have the right policies or they don't have the right attitude. And even if you want to borrow, you're not going to be able to ha- know how to get a hold of anybody because you won't know a local banker. So this is not good for the economy. It's not good for the poor. It's not good for people who want to get started. And completely agree. Let's hope that credit doesn't tighten that much. It's already tightened, by the way, with higher rates. And it's got to be that Powell and, right. and Yellen get in a room together and, and, and come up with one message that maybe calms things down because we're not that's not our opinion. The markets Accountab- have spoken. Senator accountability, Scott. Accountability, Brian. Yep. Uh, it's accountability. What's that? It's all accountability. What? It's all accountability. <laughs> First off, you. the Federal Reserve doesn't even have an independent auditor. They pick their own auditor. Well, we got Give we got a, a long way. We'll get that's for another some... that's for another night, another show. But we'll have happy to have you on as well, Senator Rick Scott. Okay. Appreciate it. By the way, Senator Bye-bye. Rick Scott also working with Elizabeth Warren on the other side to maybe establish something like that. So we'll get that on. All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight, and there is one major story we think it's major that's not getting maybe nearly enough attention. Lawmakers in California's Senate just passed a bill that would create a new multi-million dollar state agency that would go after oil and gas companies for what the administrators determined to be profiteering or price gouging. It is being championed by the state's governor, Gavin Newsom. And if it becomes law, it may not. But if it does, it would be the first of its kind. And it could have some far reaching implications, maybe even for mom and pop gas stations far removed from being you know, big oil. <coughs> Joining us now with an update on this story, CNBC's Yasmin Corum. Yasmin. 
Brian, let me give you some background here to start with. California residents pay more at the pump than anyone else in the country. Now, this is nothing new. Gas in California is often and has recently been more expensive because of the state's climate forward policies. There's higher taxes and fees, also a special blend of fuel that's pricier to produce, but far better for the environment. Eco-driven measures have been central to Governor Gavin Newsom's policies, who, by the way, also pledged recently to get all gas-powered cars off the road by 2035. So what's the sticking point here on gas prices? Governor Newsom is alleging that big oil is price gouging. Once again, in 2022, California came in with the highest average gas price. But in late summer and early fall of last year, take a look at this, that average spiked all the way up to nearly $6.50 a gallon. At one point, the California average gas price was $2.60 higher than the national one. Even today, gas prices in California are more than $1.40 higher than the rest of the country. Lawmakers and regulators think that's too large of a gap to be explained by just taxes and fees. Newsom's answer was to impose a profit cap on big oil. The five companies you mentioned, seen right here, account for 97 percent of the state's gasoline. But a tepid Senate response in December led to today's amended legislation, which easily breezed through the state Senate, and the creation of an independent watchdog within the state's five-person energy commission, all appointed or reappointed by Governor Newsom, who will monitor oil prices, investigate spikes, and yes, have the power to subpoena oil executives. Most notably, Brian, they also have the authority to put a cap in place if they choose to do so and potentially impose fines. In short, Newsom is putting the power in the hands of state regulators to fight big oil if they see fit. So much we don't know. Wish we had time, yes, been so... Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have any idea of what too much profit might be? I mean, do we know what they might like these five appointed unelected officials who may or may not have any experience in oil and gas or gas trading, whatever it may be? Do we have an idea what they would what they would be digging into? And that's too much money you're making. I did ask them about this. I was at the phone on the phone at length with the governor's office this morning. They could not tell me how much is too much profit, but they did say that this is in the beginning stages and that kind of analysis is going to fall into this new commission um, within these these regulators. Yeah. And uh, a local news reporter, by the way, which I retweeted, said it would be a seven million dollar year state agency, which doesn't sound like a lot. But we're talking about basically building another state agency for this, Yasmin, stay on the story, please, because I, I just hope that the local gas station owner who has very little control over pricing at all does not end up being the one getting pinched. Yasmin Karam, thank you very much. All right, still ahead, a short seller dropping a bit of a bomb on Jack Dorsey's block. Plus, a new poll shows just how low confidence can go in the banks. Numbers you got to hear with our all, look at that. That's an all-star panel. Bethany, Matt, Lydia, smile. We're going to take a commercial break. We're back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Last Call. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. It's been a bad day for Jack Dorsey's Block. If you don't know who Block is, it's not H&R Block. Block is a mobile payments company. The shares tanked about 15%. The short seller Hindenburg Research alleged the company helps facilitate fraud on its cash app. They compared the platform's internal systems to the, quote, Wild West due to lack of guardrails. Now, Block is not taking these accusations laying down in a statement released today company announced it plans to, quote, explore legal action against Hindenburg Research for the factually inaccurate and misleading report. But does the Hindenburg report showcase the important role of short sellers exposing potential fraud? Or are they, as Block argues, designed to deceive and confuse investors and are just basically vultures in the stock market? Let's take that to tonight's panel. Joining us tonight, Bethany McLean, CNBC contributor, Vanity Fair contributing editor, RSE Venture CEO Matt Higgins, New York Post business reporter Lydia Moynihan. I'm going to start with you, Bethany. You know that I am because you wrote a book on Enron. I'm sure you talked to one James Chanos, right? You know a lot about short sellers. Why do we love the longs? And I work for CNBC. We, we, we love the longs, but short sellers are often treated like, what is that, the, the, the tavern in, in Star Wars? Uh, a vile hive of scum and villainy. I've never understood the belief, although it is pervasive, that it is beautiful to go on TV and talk up a company in which you have a long position, but somehow evil and anti-American and corrupt to lay out a short position. Hindenburg's got a great track record. They put out a really well-researched paper. They didn't go around whispering salacious secrets and people's ears. They said, here's our position. Here's here's our here's our here's our set of facts. And it's on block now to refute it. And I wish they would just refute it and stick to the facts rather than say we're exploring legal action. To me, that diminishes their credibility. Yeah. Lydia, do you think I mean, you're a reporter, you cover business. Should they have to 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 Bethany's point uh, directly addressed? And maybe they did. And I missed it. If I did, I'm sorry, I'm negligent. Instead of saying, oh, you're bad and we're going to sue you or may sue you. Here's why you're wrong. X, Y, Z. I think we can quibble about their communications strategy. That may or may not have been the move. But I think it's important to take a step back and think about where short sellers fall in Wall Street research writ large. I mean, most research that Washington or that Wall Street pays attention to comes from big bank equity research analysts who are not allowed to hold the stocks of the companies that they cover because banks recognize if you are long or short this stock, it is going to influence your work. Brian, you at CNBC are not allowed to hold Exxon stock and then cover that company because CNBC recognizes it's going to be a conflict of interest. And yet this is one situation where it is the Wild West, where anything goes when it comes to this research. And it's very clear that their yeah. incentive is to basically create the worst possible report they possibly could. Now, they've been working on this for two years. If this was a company that they thought was so problematic, that had so much fraud going on, why didn't they raise alarm bells two years ago? No, they wanted to get their ducks in the row, make this the most dramatic report they possibly Do, could, yeah. get their short position in line, and then un unleash it. Matt, quickly, do, do short sellers play a role? By the way, I feel bad knocking vultures. Vultures actually do play a valuable role in biodiversity and ecosystems. 
as do short sellers. Uh, you have to read this report. Those who have not need to read this report. There are some really serious allegations that need to be brought to the public domain. We're talking about, you know, sex trafficking proliferating as a result of being facilitated by the apps. You know, hundreds of songs where rappers are rapping about, you know, crimes in it and then duplicate accounts. They Hindenburg was able to create accounts under Donald Trump, Elon Musk, Jack Dorsey. So read the report. They're also the ones who brought uh, Nicola to light about the truck being, you know, rolled, rolled up to the top down of the, the hill, hill yeah. pushing it down. <laughs> so uh, there's short sellers and there, there's investigative reporting with a profit motive, which is basically what a report like this is. Yeah, it's an interesting take. And by the way, read Amer I think it's called American Kingpin about true story about how bi basically Bitcoin got its start off the Silk Road. I mean, it didn't start, but it was like 10 cents. And that's where it gained a lot of attention. All right. Topic two, which is the continued fallout for the banking mess. Get this, guys. Americans' confidence in banks themselves is tumbling, not our opinion. An AP poll, poll just found that only 10% of Americans currently feel, quote, a great deal of confidence in America's banks and financial institutions. That is down over 20% in just two years. Lydia, I mean, I don't know who's got a lower trust rating, journalists, you know, class action lawyers or banks. To be fair, so it's high confidence. That's a high bar. I mean, frankly, I don't know if I have high confidence in anything uh, at this point in my life. If you look at the broader number, I think 57% have some confidence in banking. So that is encouraging. Obviously, we, we want to encourage people uh, to believe in our financial infrastructure. That is important to have a healthy economy. But Frankly, I don't think a degree of skepticism is a bad thing. I think it's okay to take a step back. Certainly, probably confidence is going to be a record low right after we've seen Signature and Silicon Valley Bank fail in the last two weeks. Yeah. I think it is okay to take a step <sighs> back and think, okay, you know what? Maybe I, if, if all of my assets are bank. in one tiny regional bank, maybe I want to open another account Lydia. just to be safe. I think it's okay, okay. to take a step back. Fair but enough. We, we, have, we have seen... At least, you know, depositors are made whole in this case. These but that good, hasn't uh, always fair, been the case. Fair points. Why we're here to discuss. But, Matt, I don't want some. I've got some confidence that's not a poisonous snake. I've got some confidence this pilot's going to land this plane. Right? It's a bank. I don't want to have some confidence. I thought this was actually a really silly poll. <laughs> when you look at 2020, when money was show. What's your beef? I, I thought it was kind of a silly poll because in 2020, you know, when you ask people the same question, only 22 percent had high confidence and they were getting free money back in the day. The more interesting poll would be to ask people, if you have a regional bank, what do you think about that? And that number would be materially higher. So all banks are not created equal. Bethany, would you agree with that? I mean, but I, I worry for regional banks. I, I, we bring this up because the bank stocks fell again today. I mean, market saying this is not over. I agree with Matt that it's a silly poll, but I think the underlying question is actually very real. If you have to ask the question, do you have confidence in the banking system? That's a problem in and of itself. And as you pointed out earlier on the show, the regula regulators' actions in this saga do not exactly instill con uh, confidence. From Powell going in front of Congress on the Tuesday before the SVB mess was unleashed, mm -hmm. saying that the banking system was strongly capitalized to their failure to spot the problem coming to their inability to get a straight line of communication out about whether yeah. deposits are to be guaranteed. There's also a really big argument that the world has fundamentally changed and banking isn't prepared for it. Not only are there potentially trillions in mark-to-market losses on bank balance sheets, but also if you have 
of a world where people, customers are less loyal and are willing to yank their deposits in search of higher yield, you've got a more, a less stable banking system than you had in the past. And that, I think that's a big long-term question. And they that can we're do it to... with a couple swipes in their smartphone. All right, topic three, and we may not have time to get to all of you, so I apologize. Facing angry employees and a big unionization push, Starbucks' new CEO is trying something new to appeal to employees. But is it going to work? In a letter to his staff, Lakshman Narashaman pledged to work a shift at one of the company's cafes once a month, although for only half a day. Now, Matt, you're a part owner of the Miami Dolphins. You, I think you got Magnolia Bay. You own all these businesses. You might be the ultimate undercover boss. But here's the problem. If he goes in like I'm the and if you walk into one of your businesses as Matt Higgins, the CEO, it's going to be the cleanest freaking business you've ever seen. Everyone knows you're coming. They're going to fake a smile. He's going to have to do this somehow secretively. Otherwise, he's not going to know the story. First of all, I think it's great. Even if it's virtue signaling, it's the right virtue signaling. It's letting people know that you care and he's trying. He doesn't seem to have a great background in retail. We have one of the CEO, CEOs of one of our companies, Fuku. Before she took the job, she spent eight weeks working as a waitress and bought her a ton of credibility with the team. So I think he's totally, totally doing the right thing. He doesn't have to be undercover. It's even better. People know who he is. It shows that he cares and he's trying and he respects them. Oh, Bethany, you get my point. It's like you show up somewhere that whenever the president goes somewhere, everything looks great. Right. Because nobody wants I to actually it. deal with bad stuff. Right. I love Matt's point of view. I think that's really sweet and really nice. And I wish I were a little bit less cynical, but I roll um, <laughs> based on, just based on his compensation versus the average Star Starbucks workers compensation. I think the idea that this is going to quell employee unrest is crazy. Yes, I agree with you. If he goes in there and nobody knows who he is, the team at the Starbucks store doesn't know who he is and customers don't know who yeah. he is and he gets what those people experience every day. Yes, he's going to learn something. Is he going to do that? I don't know. And I, Lydia, I'm yeah, I don't think talking. it's going to call unrest. I think it's going to actually compensate for the fact that he doesn't have a lot of credibility in hospitality. I think just looking at his resume. Fair, that's a fair point, Lydia. I, I tell you what, we're talking about messaging. I, I wouldn't let people know where he's going to be, though. Would you? He just better show up secretly. Be like tomorrow, our CEO is going to be at West 57th Street. Don't do that. You, you don't want a Potemkin Starbucks. No, that's that's not a good idea. Um, no, I think it's it's a it's a great idea. It shows that he cares, as Matt and Bethany mentioned. Um, but I think the real question here is, is he going to be doing this as a means of addressing these issues that employees have? Because they're real issues about scheduling, unsafe working conditions. So if this is a way to find real world smart solutions. I think that's great. If it's just an opportunity to get a photo op. I don't think that's going to go Or stump them, right? Matt, you go in there and be like, I want whatever the most complicated drink is. Here you go. Lydia, Matt, Bethany, good conversation. A lot of fun, too. Thank you. All right, still ahead. A serious and important story you will only hear here. 200,000 service members and veterans suing 3M. You're going to hear why from an Army vet who says the company failed them. Seema Modi with that, Matt. Welcome back. More than 200,000 military service members and veterans are suing 3M, claiming combat earplugs that the company made for members of the armed forces were defective and thus resulted in hearing loss. One Wall Street analyst says the company's liability could be in the billions. Seema Modi sat down with one of those service members. It's a loud ringing in my ears. Nathan Fry is a former active duty infantry officer. He's one of more than 200,000 military service members and veterans suing 3M, claiming the company's earplugs were defective, not protecting against loud noises 
which led to permanent hearing damage. I was going through some of the most intense training the Army has to offer. From 2003 to 2015, Aero Technologies and its parent company 3M manufactured and supplied the United States military with combat arms earplugs. The green end blocked out all noise. Flipped around, the yellow end is whisper mode, which blocked out loud noises, but allowed the user to hear quieter sounds like conversations. We used it every time that we were around loud noises. Fry says he first noticed issues with his hearing in 2013. As the years passed, it never got better. I don't look like somebody who probably should have as much hearing loss as I do uh, at, at my age. It was tested by the Air Force and the Army and others, including NIOSH. Eric Rucker is an attorney for 3M. All of that testing shows the combat arms earplug, when properly fitted and used, used according to its instructions, works. We're talking about the military, some of the most highly trained professionals in the world. So are you basically saying that they don't know how to use this earplug? We are not saying that. Clearly, the military audiologists were well-trained in how to train people and fit people for the use of earplugs. It should have worked and protected their hearing in environments where it was appropriate to be using this earplug. Today, the lawsuits have been consolidated in Florida federal court, making it the largest mass tort in U.S. history. 3M has lost 10 of the 16 cases that have gone to trial, with a total of $265 million awarded to 13 plaintiffs so far. There have been several bellwether trials, and unfortunately, uh, Arrow and 3M have not been able to present all of the evidence related to the original design of the product, the military's involvement in the design of the product, all of that um, is on appeal. Meanwhile, Wall Street says the liability risk could be in the billions. If you do the math uh, on the number of plaintiffs, which is north of 200,000, uh, and you take the average settlement value, the simple math on that gets you well north of 10 to 20 billion dollars. Any estimate of the total exposure uh, for liability right now in these cases is completely speculative. 3M's legal strategy? Putting its subsidiary, Aero Technologies, into bankruptcy protection, along with a billion dollar trust to settle the suits and indemnify 3M. The service members are accusing 3M of using bankruptcy to shield itself, and they've asked a judge to dismiss it. A hearing on this scheduled for April. 3M recently revealing new data that records from the Department of Defense show 90 percent of 175,000 plaintiffs have no hearing impairment under medically accepted standards. One of the lead attorneys for the plaintiffs responding, calling it a misrepresentation of DOD data. So the story continues, Brian. Yeah, that's important. I know that the, those kind of hearing issues can just be miserable to live with. Yes. What's the next step? what's next in this entire process? There is an important hearing in April, Brian, where 3M will basically be told whether they can bankrupt their subsidiary, Aero Technologies. And if not, that actually could speed up the trials. And the market is really looking for that clarity. The stock is down 31% over the past one year. And we're talking about an iconic American manufacturing company started in 1902 in Minnesota, best known for its post-it notes, the N95 respirator during the pandemic, mm. and now really facing an uphill battle. Because the, the, the plug company. just didn't work well enough for, for artillery sounds, right? That's basically the gist of it. The plaintiffs are accusing 3M of just that, that, okay. that the earplugs were defective. An important story there uh, financially and for their, their lives as well. Yes. Seema Modi, thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, let's now get to quicker than the ticker, all the news that matters in the world of business and beyond.
So, let's put 90 seconds on the clock and go. A bomb cyclone tearing through California this week, causing rare tornadoes, one of which touched down for upwards of two to three minutes. Storms have caused a number of fatalities and are causing major structural damage. Another big day and sad day for layoffs. Accenture announcing they're cutting 19,000 jobs. Indeed, the job listing company laying off 2,200 people in Walmart, laying off hundreds at their e-commerce facilities. The New York Yankees are once again baseball's most valuable team. Probably no surprise, but they're now worth $7.1 billion, that according to Forbes, and that is 18% more than last year. French labor unions are demonstrating en masse after President Emmanuel Macron passed through legislation raising the retirement age for workers without having a vote in Parliament. Ford expects to lose nearly $3 billion in profit on the EV market this year alone. Looking for sun, sand, and maybe a new job, the country of Aruba is hiring a weather reporter for a week. The catch is there is no catch because the weather in Aruba is so consistently good, there's basically no job there. Sounds nice. You might soon be banned from tasting the rainbow if you live in California. A new bill introduced could prohibit the sale of items to specific chemicals. Things like Skittles, Ding Dongs, and others. Gone. Meantime, the SEC is charging eight celebrities, including Lindsay Lohan, Akon, and Jake Paul. And that is all the time we have. I mean, we talked about the gasoline price gouging story, and now California's thinking about outlawing things that have those chemicals in it, like a Skittle or a Ding Dong. So maybe just drive your giant Hummer down to the convenience store and stock up on Ding Dong. I think the Ding Dongs last like, don't they last like 50 years? Something like that. All right. Coming up, an instant classic that painted the box office green, hard to believe, a quarter century ago, and it put Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin on the map. We're going back in time after this short break. All right, welcome back, everybody. All right, maybe later tonight you want to, you know, Netflix or Peacock and chill. Here's a movie idea, even though you've probably already seen it five times. Titanic. Now, we say Titanic not accidentally because 25 years ago tonight, Titanic won a record-tying 11 Oscars. It collected golden statues for nearly every category in which it was nominated, including, of course, Best Picture. Only two, did you know, it's Jeopardy time, only two other movies have won 11 Oscars. Ben-Hur and The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, which I thought was the weakest of the three. Anyway, but it wasn't all smooth sailing for the Titanic. Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet playing the star-crossed lovers Jack and Rose, they did not, either of them, win an Oscar for their roles. And who can forget this tearjerker scene? I was kind of always rooting for a boyfriend. I mean, you know, why not? Now, the film was originally budgeted for $110 million, but the massive sets, special effects, and production delays pushed the budget to $200 million. Ended up being worth it. Titanic eventually made a giant splash at the box office. It became the first movie to make a billion dollars worldwide. It was also the highest grossing movie of all time. That until, by the way, James Cameron Avatar, same guy that did Titanic, dethroned it 11 years later. What was your favorite scene in, 
in Titanic, right? When he, when he sank. And that is tonight's Back in Time. All right, before we go, we conducted a very scientific Twitter poll earlier today, surveying all of you about TikTok. A very cut and dry question. Should TikTok be banned? Now, the response, at least the voting, was largely in favor of banning. What was that, 65 to 35 or whatever? But there was also, as is Twitter, some interesting commentary. Here are some bits. Buzzy says national security over influencers. Michael wrote, if TikTok is banned, quote, the short-term noise will be loud, but people will forget. Alexis said, I'd rather ban Brian Sullivan. Get in line. And Donnie says he understands but doesn't, quote, feel like it, meaning, I guess, banning it, Donnie, is a free market thing to do. A lot of heat and passion around, certainly, the TikTok issue as well. And we appreciate all the kind words and even, as you can see, some of the unkind words. We're going to be doing a lot more of this, so tweet us at LastCallCNBC, at SullyCNBC. We want to hear from all of you fans and even some nicer trolls are welcome all right everybody you can't can't stay here we'll see you tomorrow night cnbc has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday markets money and more from wall street to main street i'm cnbc's jessica edinger follow and listen to cnbc business news updates wherever you get your podcasts